Yes, you're listening to the Total Cricket Podcast. I hope you're having a good one. Sachin here, as always, to take you through the latest happenings in the world of cricket. Now, just a quick housekeeping matter. If you do enjoy these podcasts, then don't forget to subscribe if you're on YouTube or follow on SoundCloud. But I digress. Today, I'm going to be taking a closer look at the first test between Pakistan and Sri Lanka and what a game of cricket this was. Test cricket at its best. The first three and a half days were largely unwatchable, but then the game came to life in the final session on day four, and then the climax on day five was nothing short of exhilarating, and we saw a nail-biting finish, the game going down to the final hour. Incredible stuff. Who said Test cricket was dead? Sri Lanka claiming a famous victory by 21 runs and taking a 1-0 lead in the series. There were a lot of interesting things about this game, and I'm going to give you my six biggest takeaways from this test match. Number one, Rangan Hera is a god. He becomes the first left-arm spinner to take 400 wickets. I thought it was appropriate that he took his 400th wicket to win the game for Sri Lanka. He becomes the first bowler to take 100 test wickets against Pakistan, an incredible achievement for this great man. Remember that he took his 300th test wicket against England in June 2016. 15 months later, he takes his 400th test wicket. Bear in mind, he's 39 years old. He turns 40 in March. That in itself is remarkable. He's certainly cementing himself as one of the greats of cricket. This game was classic Rangan Herat. In the first innings, when the pitch was unresponsive, it wasn't turning, it was slow, it was low, he managed to take a five-wicket haul to keep Sri Lanka in the game, and he used all his guile to do so. This was classic Herat. The art of spin bowling was on full show. The way he varied his speed, his line and length, his delivery point, his flight was a joy to watch. Even if the ball isn't turning, he can still take wickets. That's why he's so good. Those subtle variations keep him in the game. And then in the second innings, when Sri Lanka were defending 136, the lowest score they've ever defended in Test cricket, the pitch was starting to deteriorate, the ball was turning, and so Hera just put it on the spot and let the pitch do the work for him. The way he sets up the batsman is incredible. He is a master at outfoxing the batsman, and he did it yet again. 11 wickets for the game for Ranganahera, and where would Sri Lanka be without him? Let's not get carried away with this victory. Sri Lanka are not suddenly an amazing team. This is an average cricket team that is being elevated by an incredible player in Ranganahera. Since the retirement of Kumar Sangakkara in 2015, Sri Lanka have won 10 test matches. Ranganahera has taken 93 wickets in those victories, including 5-10 wicket hauls. He is the reason Sri Lanka are still winning test matches, why they are still competing against a lot of teams. Without him, this would be a bowling attack lacking in penetration, coupled with 
an inconsistent batting order. Herat's value to this team is priceless. The question is how long can he keep playing? He may be 39 years old, but he only plays test matches, so his workload is manageable, and he's still certainly got that match-winning ability, and he seems to be enjoying his cricket. Why wouldn't you enjoy taking a hat full of wickets? So I think that Herat will continue to play for at least a year or two, and I think it's going to be a case of how long he can remain effective. I think as long as he's taking wickets, as long as he's enjoying the game, he always seems to be enjoying himself, then he will keep playing. And that is a great thing because he is keeping Sri Lanka afloat. While this team is in seemingly perpetual rebuilding mode, he is keeping them relevant. So his value cannot be understated. I think the best part about the Rangana Herat story is that he's not your typical sportsman. He's not your typical athlete. He shows that you don't have to be incredibly physically gifted to be really good at sport. I think it's a great thing that there is a role model out there, a hero for so many Sri Lankans that is so relatable. If you saw him on the street, you wouldn't think he's a sports star, would you? That, I think, is the beauty of it and the beauty of cricket in general. You don't have to be physically gifted to be a great cricketer. Rangana Hera, the ultimate team man, always plays with a smile on his face, plays the game in the right spirit and is incredible at what he does. He's a credit to the game and a credit to Sri Lanka cricket. And I think all of world cricket will be hoping that he can keep playing for a long time. The second takeaway from this game for me was Pakistan's chasing woes. Now, a lot of people associate Pakistan with batting collapses and comical batting. And you'd think now that without two incredibly experienced players in Mizbah and Yunus, that they would suffer even more. But in fact, this issue has been ongoing for Pakistan now in recent times. They have struggled greatly in fifth-day chases. In fact, since 2016, they have lost all 10 wickets chasing on the fifth day five times in Test cricket. That is incredible. A collapse is seemingly always around the corner for this team, and it's not for a lack of experience. Misbah and Yunus were part of many of those chases. Azza Ali, Asad Shafiq, they've been a part of all those chases. Both those players have played over 50 games. So it's not a question of experience, it's a question of mindset, I feel. And this game illustrated that pretty perfectly. Chasing 136 for victory on a pitch that, yes, it was deteriorating, but it wasn't a minefield. You could still score runs on that surface. But Pakistan went into their shell from the get-go. They lacked intent. And I think that was the biggest reason for their downfall. That lack of intent meant that the pressure kept on building. They allowed the Sri Lankan bowlers to bowl to them. When you allow Rangana Herat to bowl to you under very little pressure, you're asking for trouble. And Pakistan could not get out of the rut. A lot of those dismissals in that chase were batsmen poking and prodding at deliveries, indecisive in their decision-making. Some of them were poor strokes. Some of them lapses in concentration. But I think the overriding issue was that lack of intent, the negative mindset. And they had a negative mindset on the final day 
even when they were trying to bowl Sri Lanka out in the second innings. If you remember, when Niroshan Dikvella was batting with the tail, Pakistan put out defensive fields to him and let him take a single on the final ball of the over. They didn't bring the field in to try and stop the single and get the tail ender on strike. That was incredible to me. Pakistan fell into the trap that a lot of captains fall into, not trying to get the established batsman out. It's not like Niroshan Dikvella can't get out. He's a guy who likes to chance his arm in the first place. So that, I think, along with their lack of intent, illustrated Pakistan's mindset. They need to get out of this mindset on fifth days. Now, I understand, because these things have happened a lot recently, that they must be mentally scarred to an extent. I think particularly if you remember that game in Hamilton against New Zealand late last year, Pakistan were chasing on the final day and they were only one wicket down at T. And as a result, they decided to go for the target because they thought they had nothing to lose. They then proceeded to get bowled out with 10 overs still remaining in the game. It was a horrific collapse. And perhaps that is the reason behind this mindset now, that they're overly cautious chasing on the final day. Regardless, they need to get over this quickly. 136 runs to chase in the final innings. It is all on your batting there. You have to chase that down. It's not a particularly difficult score to chase down. You can't blame anything else but your batting for that result. They had played a pretty good game up until that point. It was all on the batting in the last innings, I felt, and it's costing Pakistan big time. This is a team that now is going to start rebuilding. They've lost eight of their last 10 test matches now. Going to Australia and New Zealand, that was always going to be difficult, but they've lost two tests out of four against the West Indies, and now they've lost to Sri Lanka. Two average teams. So alarm bells should be ringing for Pakistan here. Losing to these teams regularly is not a good sign. Just a year ago, they held the number one ranking, and now they're back down to number six. They have a good bowling group, but it's this batting lineup, even though it has some very good players in it, like Azhar Ali, like Asad Shafiq, Safraz Ahmed, the talented Sami Aslam and Barbara Azam, who at the moment can't quite get it together in Test cricket inexplicably. Their bowling is doing its job. The batsmen now have to start delivering. The third takeaway from this game was that there are some positive signs in the Sri Lankan batting lineup. Dimut Karnaratna has revived his career since the India series. In his last four test matches, he has a century and two 90s to his name. Could have easily been three centuries. And in this game, he was run out for 93 in the first innings. Dinesh Chandimal, that was his fault. There was an easy single there. Karnaratna looked set to score a century. But Karnaratna now at the top of the order is providing some stability. After being out of form for the last 18 months, he's now starting to come back to the Karnaratna that we saw when he first burst onto the scene. Dinesh Chandimal, he now has two centuries in his last five tests. And I think this innings particularly in the first innings of this game was a huge one in the context of Sri Lanka cricket. The issues that they've had with captaincy in this past year 
have been well documented and for Chandimal to relieve some of the pressure on his own captaincy was a big thing for Sri Lanka. Chandimal now is becoming a reliable test batsman. He averages over 42, very healthy. He scored nine centuries in 40 games. That's pretty good. And he's now becoming a specialist at playing these long innings. His last three test centuries have all come with a strike rate of lower than 50. He's batting long periods of time. He's grinding it out. Not necessarily easy on the eye, but it's been very effective from Dinesh Chandimar recently. And those last three centuries I speak of against Australia, Bangladesh, and now Pakistan, look at the context of those a little bit closer. Against Australia at the SSC, he and Dananjaya De Silva came together when Sri Lanka were 26 for 5 in the first innings. Chandimal grinded it out and got a century to lift Sri Lanka out of the doldrums. Against Bangladesh in the second test match of that series in Colombo, Sri Lanka lost two early wickets. He came in at number four and he resurrected the innings. And now here in the first innings, Sri Lanka lost their first three wickets in the opening session on a very flat track. But then Chandimal made sure that they got up to a par score on this surface, which was 400. He is doing the dirty work. He's showing incredible application and discipline. And from a leader, that's a great thing. To know that he is showing the appropriate game awareness, it's great. Others can learn from him. And hopefully, we see smarter cricket from Sri Lanka as a team in the future to take from Chandimar's lead. Niroshan Dikvela is another one who impressed in this test match. His 80 in the first innings was crucial in propelling Sri Lanka to that total. He came in late on the first day and Sri Lanka was scoring at about two runs and over. He provided a lift to the run rate and then on the second day, he continued that with Dinesh Chandimal and he drove home the advantage after Sri Lanka had worked really hard in the first two sessions of day one to stay in the game. He's a guy who can change a game. Everyone else was scoring at a strike rate of below 50, but then Bikvela all of a sudden comes in on a slow, low pitch and scores at a strike rate above 70. That kind of ability cannot be underestimated. And then in the second innings, arguably a more important innings, that 40 not out that he made, he marshaled the tail to push that target up from 100 to the eventual mark of 136. And that, in the end, was the difference between the two teams. Dick Vella showed great maturity in marshalling the tail. That was a good thing to see because we've seen so far in Niroshan Dick Vella's international career that he is such a talented stroke maker. But at times, he lacks game awareness and maturity. He makes rash decisions, doesn't go about building his innings in the appropriate way. But I think in this game, he showed the perfect balance between aggression and caution. It was perfect from Dick Welly. He took the play to the Pakistani bowlers, put the pressure back on them, but he still played in a sensible way. He didn't try to hit every ball to the boundary. And that is what I want to see from Niroshan Dick Vella more consistently. This guy is such a talented batsman and also an incredibly talented keeper. This guy is up there with Ridiman Saha as the best wicket keeper in Test cricket. His glove work was incredible 
in this game, I applaud. He takes the ball so cleanly. He moves with such grace. He's a fantastic keeper, Hiroshin Bikbele, and he's really developing into a special cricketer. Now, having said all this, there are still some issues in the batting lineup, namely Kaushal Silva and Lahiru Tirimana. Kaushal Silva has played 36 test matches and he averages below 30. Lahiru Tirimana has played 27 test matches, he averages below 24. Both these guys have been given countless opportunities and yet they haven't been able to cement their place in the team. They haven't been able to perform to a great standard in any more than a few games. I was very surprised to see Kaushal Silva picked ahead of Sabira Samarawikrama in this game. Kaushal Silva, we know what he is. He's an overly cautious player who has a limited range of strokes. He has no back foot game and he pokes at balls outside the off stump. But it's that defensive mindset, I think, that is the killer. Much like for Lahiru Tirimana, he plays test cricket with a defensive mindset. He is solid technically against fast bowlers, but he plays the spinners atrociously. Asad Shafiq got him out in this game. That's how bad it got for Tirimana. But that's not all. He was named the vice-captain of this tour. As a guy who hadn't played test cricket since June 2016, how can you go and name him the vice-captain? It's another perplexing decision by the selection committee. It just shows that it doesn't matter who is a part of the selection committee, there's always going to be dumb decisions made. Nevertheless, I think the most worrying thing in the batting lineup was Kusal Mendes. He has struggled a lot recently since that 100 he made in the second test against India. He hasn't scored a 50 in eight consecutive international innings. He's clearly low on confidence at the moment, and his technical issues are being exposed a little bit. He doesn't move his feet a great deal, gets caught on the crease, and he gets squared up too easily. Sometimes also plays across the line against the faster bowlers. But the biggest issue I have is that Sri Lanka keep chopping and changing his position in the batting lineup. In the first test against India, he was pushed down to number four to accommodate Danushka Gunatilika. Then in the second and third tests, he was brought back up to three. That's where he scored that century against India. And now in this test, all of a sudden to accommodate Lahiru Tirimana, a player who wouldn't be in the team if it weren't for injuries, he's pushed down to four again. It doesn't make any sense. This is supposed to be your long-term number three. Stop pushing him around. It doesn't help his cause when he's low on confidence. But they have to keep the faith, the selectors. Don't make the same mistake that you made with Dananjaya De Silva and completely destroy the young man's confidence. Kusal Mendes is a once-in-a-generation talent and he must be treated with care. But looking at the batting lineup as a whole, as I said, there's positives, there's also negatives. But look at this best top seven, I feel, that Sri Lanka could put out. Dimut Karunaratna opening the batting with Sadira Samarawikrama. I think this was a missed opportunity to blood him in. Unfortunately, though, you can't just give Kaushal Silva one game. That would be unfair, in my opinion. So if he doesn't perform in the second test, then they have to move to Sabira Samarawikrama. Kusal Mendis put him back at number three. Dinesh Chandimal at four. Angelo Matthews at five. Asela Gunaratna, he's been a big miss for Sri Lanka. Him at six. And then Nirosh and Bitbella at seven. That is a pretty good batting lineup on paper. And yes, Sri Lanka's batting has been plagued by inconsistency. 
in recent times. But if that batting lineup can play a number of games together, stay fit, then I think that it will improve. Sri Lanka will become a better batting unit. There is talent out there. It just needs to be harnessed in the proper fashion. Now moving on to my fourth takeaway, and that is that Yasir Shah is special. He became the fastest spinner to 150 wickets in test history, brought it up in this game, his 27th, and he now has 157 wickets at an average of a tick below 30, which is fantastic. And I think the best thing about Yasir is his record in the UAE. He's taken 71 wickets at an average of just below 25 in 11 games in the UAE. That is incredible on pitches that are largely unresponsive, that he's been able to get a bag full of wickets more often than not is a credit to him and his ability. He's so dangerous to the left-handers coming around the wicket and spinning the ball back into them and to the right-handers from over the wicket and taking the ball away from them. He can bowl to both left-handers and right-handers. More often than not, his control is very good doesn't bowl the googly a lot, relies on the leg break, but that leg break is very good indeed. Don't fix it if it ain't broke. And Yasir Shah is a master craftsman, showing how effective wrist spin can be, how it can change the game even on largely unresponsive surfaces. He's been a late bloomer. He's 31 years old, Yasir Shah, believe it or not, despite only playing test cricket for a few years, but I'm sure he has many more years left in him, and he's going to be a big one for Pakistan while they're rebuilding a little bit. He'll keep them afloat, keep them competitive. Now he does have a blip on his record, and that is his performance in Australia and New Zealand. He's taken eight wickets in four tests in those countries at an average of 91. But a few mitigating factors here. Number one, it's a spinner's graveyard, Australia and New Zealand. Very difficult for spinners to do much in those countries. And I think more importantly, those games came at a time when Yasir was struggling with his fitness. Before this game against Sri Lanka, Yasir had to pass a fitness test. And that tells you that Pakistan have been keeping an eye on his fitness. I think that the workload he's had to take in the UAE, that affected him in Australia and New Zealand. He is required to do so much bowling in these conditions, that perhaps he was just starting to break down a little bit. Pakistan are so reliant on him that he just couldn't sustain his performance. That was a time when Pakistan were playing a lot of test cricket. They went from a four-match series against England to a three-match series against the West Indies to a two-match series against New Zealand to a three-match series against Australia. They played 12 tests in the space of about six, seven months. So I think that played a part in that for Yasir. But every player has a blip on their record. Ranganahera, he has struggled against India. He averages 46 against them. His next highest average against any country is 32. Almost all great players have something you can point to in their record and think they didn't quite achieve what you expected them to in those conditions or against that team. That's the nature of cricket. Different teams, different conditions throw up different possibilities different challenges and some players are going to adapt to those better than others depending on their game. So I don't see a big issue with that. Yasir is a star. Just enjoy him. The art of leg spinning 
is probably the most exciting thing to watch in cricket. And we have a world-class leg spinner in the game now. So I think that's great. Let's just enjoy it. The fifth takeaway from the game was Dilruan Pereira serves an interesting function in this team. Now, I've been very critical of Dilruan Pereira over the past few months, and for good reason. Prior to this game, he'd played six test matches this year, averaging 60 with the ball. When you're primarily in the team for your bowling, that is not good enough. He hasn't delivered with the ball this year until now. And I think this game was the perfect storm for a player like Dilruan Pereira to succeed. Sri Lanka first got lucky with the toss. Batting first in Asia is always an advantage. In the first innings, when the pitch was largely unresponsive, having that fifth bowler in Dilruan made a big difference. It allowed the bowlers to share the workload a lot better. If you looked at Pakistan, Yasir Shah had to bowl 57 overs. He did an awful lot of bowling. They didn't have a fifth frontline bowler. So that was a key thing for Sri Lanka. And then in the second innings, when Sri Lanka were trying to defend a total, Dilruan Pereira gave them the third spinner. That was crucial. The off spinner to complement the left arm orthodox of Vangana Herat also was a key factor. And think about this. If Sundakan and Herat had been the two spinners, would Sri Lanka have won the game? I don't think so, because Sundakan doesn't quite have the consistency as of yet. I think Pakistan would have been able to get after him. Sundakan hasn't shown an ability to wrestle back the momentum when he loses it. He gets flustered quite easily. So I think that it would have been much harder for Rangana Herat to do what he did with Sundakan bowling at the other end. So Dilruan Pereira was a good foil for Rangana Herat. And I think Dilruan batting at seven, he's a guy who can dead bat nicely, but he can also hit over the top, hit some big shots. In the first innings, he scored a crucial 33 off 117 deliveries. He stayed there with Dinesh Chandimar after Nirosh and Dick Vela got out, and that helped push the Sri Lankan total up from what would have been 350 to over 400. That was crucial. Now, I still think that Dilruan is an average player as a spinner. Sometimes he gets it right and he's really good, but most of the time he leaves a lot to be desired. And as a batsman, he's not a number seven. Averaging 22 is not good enough for a number seven. He's a number eight. However, he has a key role to play in this team. That's what I learned in this game. I appreciate now the role that he can play for this team in winning games. He provides a great foil for Rangana Herat in the fourth innings, and he can also help push the Sri Lankan total up when they're batting. Picking Dilruan may not be the best for the long term. Herat is 39, Dilruan is 35. But if Sri Lanka are looking to win test matches now, Dilruan Pereira is a guy you want to be picking. So all in all, Dilruan, please get it together now more consistently. But I do now see the role that he can play for this team. My final takeaway from this game was that Harris Sohail may be a game changer for this Pakistan team. He made his debut in this game. He made a very nice 76 in the first innings to drag Pakistan to a three-run lead. He batted with the tail, Hassan Ali in particular, to push them up over Sri Lanka's score to keep them in the game. That was a very mature innings from a guy who hasn't played at this level before. 
And then in the second innings, he was the top scorer for Pakistan with 34. He, along with Safras, kept the game alive for them. And it took a fantastic delivery from Dilulam Pereira to get rid of him. But I think the most important thing about Harris's debut was his bowling, his left-arm orthodox bowling. He bowled 18 overs across this game. He picked up a wicket in each innings. He is a part-timer, but crucially, he gave Pakistan a fifth bowling option. And this is something that they've struggled with in the UAE for a while. They play their home tests in the UAE on flat pitches for the most part. To share that workload among four bowlers is very difficult, particularly if you've only got one spinner. Yasir had to bowl 57 overs in the first innings in this game. I've already mentioned the effect that this incredible workload has had on Yasir in the past. Harris Sohail showed that he can bowl. He showed that he can take wickets at this level potentially. And if he now gives them a legitimate fifth bowling option, that is huge for Pakistan, particularly Yasir Shah, to take a little bit of the pressure off him and the fast bowlers as well. So I think Harris's inclusion could be a big plus for Pakistan. He came into this game as a replacement for the Mizbah Yunus combination, and he was Pakistan's best batsman in this game. He played very sensibly, very stylish, strong through the offside, but also had a solid technique. He looks like he can prosper in test cricket. And his bowling gives Pakistan something that they have been crying out for for several years. So I think Harris Sohail could be a long-term player for this Pakistan team, not just a guy that they try for a couple of tests and get rid of him. I think this guy may be a fixture for the long haul. We've already seen him in ODI's 2020s. He's been plagued by injuries a little bit. He has a first-class average of above 50, but incredibly, he hadn't played a first-class game up until this game since 2014, but that didn't seem to affect him at all. So Harris Sohail, take a bow. He was the big plus for Pakistan from this game, I felt. And that was that. Those were my biggest takeaways from this first test. We now move on to the second test, starting on Friday in Dubai. That's going to be a day-night test. Pakistan have played two day-night tests. They've won one, lost one. Sri Lanka, this is going to be their day-night test debut. In fact, they haven't even played with the pink ball at the domestic level. So this is going to be a new experience for all these Sri Lankan players. And as such, Pakistan will feel confident of squaring the series. However, the confidence that Sri Lanka can take from this win after the battering they received from India cannot be understated. So this is going to be a very intriguing game. Two inconsistent teams that are rebuilding to a certain degree. Much like the first test, I think we're in for a good one. But that just about wraps it up from me today. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you did, you can check it out on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. The links to all those platforms can be found on the Twitter page. But until next time, thanks for listening, and I'll see you later.